<laughs> that song, I had the right words, and it was the only one that came up, and then I was preoccupied on other things, so I actually didn't pay attention to the lyrics. So, I, honestly, I didn't think there was another one with different lyrics, but it was. You anyway. Yeah, right, right. Um, so if everybody will turn to 1 Samuel 25, virtue prevails, virtue prevails. Eventually I'm going to get to that one on grace that I told you I was going to, but for whatever reason, this one was the one that was on my heart this week. Um, and I feel like there's a number of us here that can use this reminder and even if we were just to focus in on the scripture, we need it now. Um, this is a story about Nabal, Abigail, and David. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you today, Lord, that you have given us what Jesus said was that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, we need to know that there isn't anything that sustains our life better than your word does. Yes. And Lord, not my commentary, but what your word says. And Lord, what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal through that today is what brings life to us. But Lord, we can have physical life. Lord, we can have physical existence and no spiritual life. And Lord, we were no better, Lord, off than if we had never been born. But Jesus, we need spiritual life. And I believe, Lord, today, every one of us have come here hungry to hear from you. Lord, what it is that you're wanting to say to us individually, what you're wanting to map out for our life, Jesus, that none of us have the right, because we're under the blood, to map our own life, to chart our own course, to do our own thing. But Lord, we're looking to rely upon you. And Jesus, as we do, Lord, we need clarity. We need clear direction. We need clear instruction. We need clarity, Lord, for life. And Jesus, help us out of the anxieties and frustrations and difficulties of life by leading us to follow you, Lord, to live the way that you wanted us to live, to walk according to your word. And Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for hunger and thirst. Because when there's hunger, Lord, when there is thirst, Lord, we're fed. And I want to praise you, Lord, today for everybody here. I want you to touch them with your grace. I want, Lord, you to mold their lives. Shape them, Lord, the way you want. Jesus, I pray that none of us will fail of the grace of God. And Jesus, that's going to take more than faithfulness on our part because, Lord, so much of what you do is making us faithful, is spawning us to be more faithful to you, Lord. And Jesus, there's times when we need a a clarity and we need repentance. And Jesus, I pray that you'll lead us there so that, Lord, we can walk with you. And Father, there'll be true peace to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel 25, this story, I, I want to highlight that one of the, the, the history, or part of the history behind this is David was just running from Saul. Saul chased him around the mountain, and David was hidden in the cave. And he finally came to the place where Saul did not know he was in the cave. Do you remember the story? He went into the cave to rest, him and his men, not knowing that David and I suppose 600 other men, because as you go in 1 Samuel 25, there's 600 men with David. 
And I think that that's phenomenal. How do you run around in the wilderness with 600 men to follow? And so there's a little bit more to this story, but I think that's enough pressure. But what I'm trying to focus on is that David had a lot of pressure in this moment. And sometimes as Christians, the world finds a way to bring pressure on you. But especially when we're a child of God, there's new levels and new places of pressure. And we don't want to give the false impression that Christians don't go through hard times, that they don't go through difficult situations. And David was going through one of those. But what was interesting was David behaved himself godly. It was as if he had no flaw in the way that he treated Saul. Saul comes in and David's men said to him, David, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Go take his life right now. And David said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed, which is very interesting because Saul was not following God at the time. But yet still, David recalled him as a man that was anointed. And so what David did was he, he basically reserved the right of God dealing with and bringing revenge his own way and not through his own hand. And this was a lesson to every man that was with David. If you're going to follow God, you can't do things your way. You can't do things after your own pride. You won't do it the way that you feel. You're going to have to do it God's way. And so David was such a prime example of what it means to follow God in that moment. And I can only imagine the pressure because part of that is this. If I let Saul go, does this mean that he's going to come chasing me again? Will my life be for the rest of my life or the rest of his life being under the threat of Saul? So from a military perspective, that was the dumbest thing David could have ever done was to let him go. And he had the advantage and he didn't. And all he did was cut off the skirt of his garment, just a piece of it. And how even he did that without Saul knowing, because Saul gets out of the cave, and then David, after he gets some distance, he calls out to him. And basically, David says, why are you chasing me? I'm nothing. I'm a dead dog, is one thing that he says in Scripture. I'm of no value. Why are you chasing me? And David puts himself in this humble light of, So now he comes from that, and now he's with his men, and Samuel has just died. The first few verses of 1 Samuel 25, Samuel dies. You you have to think about David's legacy and life with Samuel, and Samuel was an, an amazing piece to David's story. Because if you remember the story of David, Samuel sits down and he says, go call the sons of Jesse and have them all come. And we'll have all the sons of Jesse come, and one of them is going to be anointed king. And he calls the sons of Jesse, and every one of them pass before him. And Samuel says he sees Eliab, and he says the eldest. He definitely looks like he's the one. And God says, no, he's not it. And then he goes to the next one, and he goes on down the line until every one of Jesse's sons, except for David, had gone through and passed through. And, and God says to Samuel, I don't look like man looks. I look differently and so it's not on his outward appearance and and so Samuel says the Lord's anointed and the Lord's chosen for king is not among us so Jesse do you have another son something's wrong here and so Jesse says well we have another one but he's out taking care of the flocks in other words from man's perspective David was the least likely to be chosen here and and Samuel says well go get him 
And when David comes, Samuel knows immediately that he's the one that God has chosen to be king. And I think that's, that's fantastic because as we look at the life of Samuel in this perspective, the life of David, I would imagine that Samuel was to David was like a father or a mentor, and he meant something very deeply to David. So this was this passing of Samuel was not a light thing for David. So he's probably going through the grieving of watching, knowing that Samuel had died. And then he's also going through the stress of what it's like to be chased around by this <laughs> lunatic trying to find him in the wilderness and kill him. So the reason I want to point that out is because in this story, David takes a whole new approach to the way he's going to face Nabal. He doesn't initially, but he does afterwards. And so we go into the story of Nabal, and I'm just going to start reading the first few verses here. In verse 3, actually in verse 2, And there was a man in Maon, whose possessions were in Carmel, and this man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep. So the scripture calls him rich, and he was. Uh, we would call money rich, but animals were rich in that day. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding. Another version says that she had discernment, and I think that fits very well with this story, and a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So he kind of comes from, you might say, like the background of godly legacy, but yet he's a very wicked man. And she actually says that the Bible actually calls him a son of Belial. And that's just basically idol worship. And so he has this history, this background in his life that of godliness, but he turns to idol worship. And there are many today that have had godly backgrounds in their life, but they've turned to serve idols and they serve other things besides God today. So we see in this man, he's very evil in the way that he treats people the more we read this story. And it says, David heard in verse 4 in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. remember that he he later on when he uh, he goes to face Nabal he sends 400 of his men but he leaves 200 with the stuff so there are 600 guys all together but he only sends 10 to him and David said to the young men get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name and thus you shall say to him that lives in prosperity peace be both with you and with your house and with all that you have. And now I have heard that you have uh, shears, and your shepherds which are with us were not hurt, and we did not hurt them. Neither was there any missing of the things which uh, belong to you. Ask the young men, and they will show you. So he sends his young men out. He's among the shepherds. They don't take anything. They don't steal anything. They keep them safe. They protect them. This is a favor in your eyes. In verse Nine And when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and ceased. So David sends out first and initially he does the right thing. He does. He sends them out with peace. He greets them. He takes 10 men. He doesn't send out 400. And all he's asking for is, would you give us some of your surplus? Well, he's not even asking, at least not that I can see, 
feed 600 of us. Just give us something of the extra, the leftovers, anything that you can, please give to us. And he seems like he's very decent in his approach, and he is, and he's doing it in a very godly way. How many of us, honestly, were willing to try at first to do it the right way? But then when things grow sour, we're not sure that we want to continue that course. And that's what happened with David. And so after this, and here I'm going to read the story of Nabal and his reply. And then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays who break away from their masters, every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it to the men whom I do not know and where they're from? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. And David said to his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And they went after David. About 400 men and 200 stayed by the stuff. So David, when he gets this kind of reply, and again, I want you to remember that he's under heavy pressure. He's under difficult pressure. And today, this is a message for us. Because some of us are under deep pressure. I don't know everybody's lives and what you're going through, but I know some of them. And I know some stories of people who are not here Some are losing their jobs. Some are going through difficult circumstances at home. Some are going through very, very difficult situations at work. And others, it just just goes very broad. But what I'm saying is, is that this is the time for Christians like David that you can decide, you know what, I'm done with this. It's gotten to the place where it's the breaking point for me. I'm not going to pray about it anymore. I'm not going to seek God over it anymore. I'm done with this because why? Why continue to pray when things get worse? You get what I'm saying? And we all get into those situations. And what we, when we face difficult people, and Nabal was one of them. He was a difficult man. And David was ready to like, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. Which is amazing because David was such a prime example with Saul. Why did he lose heart? And all I can say is I think Christians lose heart when we get too much pressure. I got so much pressure, I quit. I quit trying. I quit giving my heart to and trusting God in this. And notice his approach was at that point, but then he quit. And it's interesting that he grabs his sword and he says, Gird up your sword, get ready to go slay these men. And David said, we're going to go. Uh, We're going to take every, it doesn't matter. We're not going to just kill Nabal. We're going to take every man in that place and we're going to slaughter them all. That was David's mind. This same man that said to Saul, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will not avenge myself with my own hand. And yet here he is. When you're given enough pressure, he was ready to do it. But the beauty of this story is the Abigail. I love this part of the story. Because every one of us need an Abigail in our life. We need somebody that when we're ready to quit, is standing for the Lord and helping us through. And so you have the story of Abigail here. So let me look here at my notes here real quick. 
One of the things I noticed in verse 11 when Nabal says, this is my bread and my flesh, the selfishness of this man. The selfishness. And what I want to say is this, is that sometimes that's the hardest thing. You know, it's one thing for me is to find somebody who has no focus on Christ, that's not saved, they're not a Christian, and they have an attitude of selfishness. But it's another thing for somebody who's a Christian and they're entirely selfish. And the reason for that, I think that's for all of us, is this, we don't get it. I don't get how you can be in Jesus Christ and be selfish. I don't know how you can live an attitude of selfishness So there, because you know what God has done for you and the price that was paid to forgive you of your sins. Is there anything that you own on this side of eternity that you have a right to be selfish with? Nabal's servants go to Abigail in verse 15. It says, but the men were very good unto us. This is Nabal's servants talking to her. Let me just read verse 14. But one of the young men, which was his servant, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out to the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good to us, and they did not hurt us, neither did we miss anything as long as we were uh, conversant with them when we were in the fields. Verse 16. And they were a wall unto us, both by night and by day. And all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Now, this servant is going to the wife of this man. David can't stand him for one moment. But imagine what she was going through. And what I say is this, is that she was a jewel. I think that this is a beautiful representation of the gospel because the gospel represents that Jesus is giving us the Abigail to the ungodly. And how many of you can say that in your testimony? I lived an ungodly life. I lived for myself. I, I was the navel of this story at some point, And Jesus was my nab- Abigail. And, and the gospel was his provision for me. And so this woman, she retained her virtue with this man. She was pure and undefiled despite the evil of his ways. And so I see that she was focused. When I think of this story, I think, This woman was not focused on her husband. She was focused on God. That's the reason she could be the way she was. Because she would have long ago done what David had considered doing if it wasn't for the sake of God preserving her and keeping her pure and keeping her holy. And what the message is behind this is this, folks. It doesn't matter how difficult people are in our lives. We can still retain godliness and be women and men of integrity, despite the struggles of people we're around. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say this. I think that God has providentially placed you where you're at because His focus is to keep you pure. You know, sometimes when we're around the perfect, 
Let's just say that. If, if we can say that, but what we feel like is the best people, we, we want the most Christian influence. Most of us want the Christian job because we're going to feel like we can be better. Nothing's going to offend our faith if we're in among Christians. But I think the best place to be oftentimes is where there is no Christians. Because your faith is active, it's alive, and it's, it perseveres, and it's present when it's against adversity. And it's beautiful to see God at work in our life in adversity. And so what we don't know is the story of how long she was married to him, how difficult her marriage was. And isn't it amazing that God seems to protect us from that? That that's not really the story? That's not the focus that God is trying to keep us in? The focus is, he's trying to keep us, is that this woman prevailed and stayed godly. Another story similar to that was the story of Noah. In the days of Noah, it says that every imagination in the heart of man was continuously wicked. But why didn't Noah follow in the the direction of everybody else? I'm sure there were probably those who we would call them professing Christians, are supposed to be those that believed in God, that fell along with those of of, uh, evil intent in those days. But Noah didn't. And it just shows that God preserves righteousness even in the midst of evil. And this, I think, promotes his name more than anything else. When men, you can go to work and others will cuss in front of you and you will not use that language, I can guarantee you that there's something being said for the glory of God in that. Because there's not men today other than Christian men that are not using that kind of language on their jobs. Unless maybe in an office situation. God wants to preserve integrity in the way that we talk, in our actions, in our jokes, the things we do. Yes, I know what it's like. I'm on the job site and I'm like, here's some of the you know foolishness that happens on the job. And I, I, I understand that there's temptation to fall, fall aside and say things and talk in ways that they do. But we want to be an example of God's way. And so Abigail was that. And so let's read here a little bit further. Verse 18. And this is what Abigail does when she hears of it. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do Uh, And I'm sorry, verse 18. And then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go before me and behold, I will come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. Why didn't she? Because she knew that he wouldn't clear the way for her. Okay, so she's using discretion. She's not just trying to go against her husband. She's using discretion how wisely to do this. Now think about this. this these men are ready to kill her husband. She's got good reason to be, you know, getting you like, I'm going to hide from you to, to what I'm doing so that you can be preserved. But what I want to show you there in Scripture, it says that she sent them ahead. What she did was, I want to give the gift to the man of God first. David was a man of God. Just remember that. She could do with David what she couldn't do with Nabal. And she was working on different grounds. Men of God have conscience. Men, can we say that? We have conscience. We have a sense of right and wrong. 
because we have a sense that God is the one that's holding us up to it now. And because of that, she starts with a gift. And I love this because if you're going to approach men, we understand something, men with men, and part of that is there's an attitude of respect. And she starts with something that's the most respectful way to approach David. And so she begins by sending the gift first before the request. I don't know if you remember somewhere else in the Bible that happened, but that also happened with Esther. She's like, goes and gets them to the banquet. And she gets them all involved in. What I mean by this is that she's softening the heart before she sends and tells him what her request is. Ladies, sometimes you're the only ones that can do this well. Men, we can have a way of trying to soften another guy. But there's something about the presence of a woman that can do that. That's why, as we can testify in our marriages, there's ways that my wife, in her silence, but her warmth, listen to me, the warmth has made the difference oftentimes. You know, men, how many of us men, let's just say, I've got a few guys in this place, how many of you have ever been angry before? Okay, I, Will's the only one out there not raising his hand. <laughs> okay, now we got it. Okay, so we've been angry. That's our emotion. Our emotion is angry. You know, we'll cry sometimes, but our emotion is anger. And so when we get angry, that's saying we're emotional. David was emotional in this. He was extremely emotional. So emotional, he's grabbing his sword to go to fight. And so what she's doing is calming the emotions in that man. She knows that he, she's going to a man of fire. He's hot. And when you can get a righteous man, listen to me, when you can get a righteous man so worked up that he's ready to go kill you, you've got a hot fire on your hands. And so she's like, okay, let's go about this the most gentle, respectful, and beautiful way that you can approach a man that's in this circumstance. I think she also has the discretion to know that he's a man who has heart toward God but he's buried behind his emotions. He's furious, and this anger is killing him. And she knows that if she works this right in the way that God wants her to, that she's going to be able to restore him back to righteousness. She's an awesome testimony. So she sends, sends him ahead. And then while this is happening, she's traveling down the road. And it said uh, in verse 19, and now verse 20, and, it's, and it was so that as she rode on the donkey and that she came down to the covert of the hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Man, I tell you what, I can't imagine what that looked like. Now David had, spent, now David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he has required of me, has requited me evil for good. David is saying it's a waste of time. It's not worth doing good to somebody who's going to do evil back to you. You know that's not true, and he knew that's not true. But the emotional state of a man when he's angry totally throws logic out the door, throws rational out the door, and lets go of conscience out the door. And a man loses his conscience oftentimes when he's angry. That's why it says in James, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. 
When you see a man angry, you are not seeing a man walking out righteousness. He's not living it out in that moment. So the pressure's on. Oh, man, the pressure's on. And she does one thing wrong. I mean, I can see this. She does one thing wrong. This man's emotion is going to take him in another swirl. And she's just, she's just practicing the grace of God in her life. Listen to me. God does something gracious inside of you that keeps you from being offended and hurt and angry and self-focused and selfish in a moment like this. And she had every reason in a sense to have that, and yet she didn't. That speaks volumes to me because I want to be, I want to have the same virtue in my life. I want to be what she is. And David did in his own way, but isn't it amazing that one person will be walking close to God while the other one is faltering? And then when the other one's faltering, the other one will be there. What are we here for, brothers and sisters? We are to help one another when things are difficult for you, when things are for me. David was the pastor of the church, if you want to say it. And David was about to do something very, very wrong. And he would about lose the whole hope of the congregation if he had done it. And now verse 22. And so and more also... Do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave all that pertains to him in the morning, the light of any male. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted. She got she went there quickly and lighted she got off of her donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me. Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. You put, you put Nabal's sin on my shoulders. If you're going to kill someone, let it be me today. I imagine, how, what would David have thought? You just diffused everything that he had in his mind because there's no way that he's going to look at her and say, I am going to do to you what I had in mind for Nabal because you've approached me on a whole different level. You've hit me right square in the middle of my conscience. You drew that arrow and you shot it, dead shot, right down into my conscience. There is no way that I can do this. And she's already broken the ground of his heart. She's broken down the emotional stress that he's in. And now she's beginning to revive the man of God. I love this thought. And so she says, let this be on me. And honestly, what she's doing is she's providentially, she's doing the exact same thing David did with Saul in the cave. She's doing the exact same thing. She's reenacting what he did earlier when he wasn't under the same pressure, when the emotions weren't so raw, when he wasn't so hot in his anger. And so now he's seeing a mirror of what he once did before God. And that's a beautiful picture because sometimes all we need is a reflection of what it used to be, what I used to be for Jesus, what I used to do for God. And so here he is looking at her, and and now it's bringing to shame the sin of his anger. Bringing to, to shame the sin of his anger. Where was I at here? Verse Somehow I think I turned the page here on myself. Okay, yeah. Verse, verse 25. And let not my Lord, I pray you, regard this man of Belial, 
even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your handmaid, saw not the young man of my Lord, whom you did send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, seeing the Lord has withholden from you from coming to shed blood and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let your enemies and they that seek evil uh, to, to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which your handmaid has brought unto my Lord, even let it even be given unto the young men that follows my Lord. So now she's saying, she's calling David Lord, and she's saying, I am your handmaid, I am your servant. I am giving myself to be an aid to you. And take of this gift. So you, know, you see how precious and powerful this gift is in softening his heart along this journey. And so she's using this gift to soften his heart. And as she's softening his heart, now she's speaking into his life the conviction of God's word again. What he's been ignoring because of his emotions and his anger. He's ignoring what God is saying to him because he's angry. Now she's softening him and getting him beneath that surface of his anger so that she can speak a word into his life. Now, I'm learning this for myself. That the first thing, we, we get somebody in an emotional setting, and it can be very difficult to talk to them. So what we do is we soften the emotions so that we can talk rationally with people. And God uses that in a very powerful way. And so what I see happen, and I see it in marriages a lot of times, I see it on the job side a lot of times, I see it out in the public a lot of times, and with family a lot of times. I've even done it with my own kids at times, where when I feel disrespected, I get emotional. And because of that emotion, then I respond to them in an ungodly way. And so haven't we all been there? I mean, how many of haven't been into the place where we've responded to somebody emotionally? So what happened, what's needed to happen is when that emotion rises, we need to caution ourselves not to rebuke our spouse when they're emotional. I'm just going to say this carefully, or our coworker, or somebody in our life that's aggravating us. Because when they're emotional and you rebuke them, they're already in a place that you're just igniting the fuse. You're just reigniting the fuse. So what we do is, is we use kindness. We use gentleness. We use the gift to help calm the emotion. Then when the emotion is calmed, then we can speak into the life. We need our own emotions calmed. And so what I've found is, is my emotion arises with somebody else's emotion at the same time. So we need to calm that. She had calmed him, pretty much diffused him, then she spoke, and if you notice, then she says, take this gift, and then in verse 30, and let it shall be come to pass that when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and shall have appointed you ruler over Israel. She's knowledgeable of David and what's going on in his life. She knows who she's talking to. That this shall be no grief unto you, no offense of heart unto my Lord, either that you have shed blood causeless, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember your handmaid. And then David finally gets his opportunity to reply. And immediately he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent you this day to meet me. 
I think this is the response of a godly man. I love this. Thank God that you came to me and you stopped me this day. Listen to me. I'm going to say this with all my heart, but I've got to say this. There's a side to grace that's forgiven, but there's a side to grace that's preventative. And I love that God would send godly messengers in our life to give us the gentle rebuke of the Lord to stop us from doing something that's outside of the will of God. Many of us have stepped into a, uh, something in our life that God did not want us to do, and we refused the rebuke at the time, and we hardened our hearts to it. But now to regret many years down the road, I wished I had listened to what God was telling me to do a long time ago. But I missed the mark. I didn't do what he wanted me to do. And when you've come through that, and you've known the pain of it, and you know the hardship of it, you finally get to the place in your life that you cherish. You love the Abigails in your life. You want those who will bring the rebuke, but do it gently. But even if you do it harshly, I still want it, because I need correction, godly correction in my life. And I want to be a godly man who doesn't constantly trip and fall and ask the Lord to pick me up and trip and fall and have the Lord pick me up. But I want to be the man whom stays faithful and honest and lives out integrity before God for his testimony. And so David begins to now look back on this. and he's, The emotion is no longer blinding him and the reality is now setting forth. I just about went in and killed this man and a myriad of his servants. And I, I just about did this in my vengeance. Lord, what would I have done to your testimony? What would I have done to God had I done that? What would that have done to his reputation? What would that have done to me being a king and considered a righteous man? That would have demolished it in one moment. And David was coming to the realization of the gravity of disobedience. How far disobedience will take him. How difficult disobedience can be. So the call of God was to obedience. And now she comes up and she says, he says, thank God, blessed be the Lord that has sent you to me this day. In verse 33, and blessed be the advice and blessed be you which have kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, which has kept me back from hurting you, except you had hasted and come to meet me, surely there had been not been left to enable any morning any man in his house. So David received of her hand that which she had brought to him and said to her, Go in peace for your, your house, and I, will, I have hearkened unto you and to your voice and have accepted your person. And then Abigail goes home. And imagine the man she meets at her home. He's drunk, he's partying, and he's having it up. And she meets him, and she does not tell him right then and there. Bad timing. She understands she has the discretion of how to behave herself with David. She has the discretion of how to take food to his army. Then she has the discretion of how to behave herself in front of Nabal. And what she does is she waits for him to be sober at the best time. And she tells him what was about to happen to him. He was completely ignorant. And it said that he was... He was disheartened for 10 days, and then the Lord smote him, and he died. So what God is saying is this. I see this happen. There's times 
when, our, when people who are difficult in our life, we're too busy trying to handle our own business. We're trying to make things right, and we're getting all in the flesh, and we're getting all emotional and hard with them and difficult. So if we will let go, we will let go and practice virtue and practice righteousness in front of people, faithfully humbling ourselves before God and giving it to Him, God will take care of the business. God will deal with the person of offense. And that's powerful because David stepped away and David didn't do it himself. And God didn't have to do that. David was at rest. He was done with the problem. But he was willing to do, surrender it to God. And what I mean by that is, is there's a lot of times in our hearts, God wants to answer your prayer, but he wants you to align yourself with his plan first. Listen to James as he says it. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We submit to God first. The reason why we have most of our difficulties is because we're trying to take charge over something that we need to give to God. And so if we'll submit to him, and some of that submission is not just prayer. You know, a lot of times we'll say, let's just pray, pray about it. And for some people, they need to get their hands off of it and pray. But most of it is, is pray till God gives you wisdom. Pray till God softens your heart. Pray till God helps you get out of the emotional struggle you're going through so you can wisely adapt yourself to the situation and to the person in need. And the focus is this, is completely redemptive. Because when you realize that you're redeeming godliness, the focus behind this is this. Somehow, Lord, you have to get me out of myself so that I can hear you clearly enough to be able to do it your way. And so she could have gone about this in many different ways, but the wisdom she applied herself, the humility that she applied herself with, was something that's just not hardly seen or heard. But I think that's why in Proverbs it says to the man, blessed is the man who has a godly wife. He has a treasure from the Lord. And so that's really true, is that men, we know that, is that our wives have have walked through this. You know, you guys have walked through pieces of my life and difficulties, but my wife has walked through it all with me. She's been there every time. And you know, there's times I've made it difficult on her. Men, we can say that. We've made it difficult on our wives. But I can also say that she's done some phenomenal things, sometimes in her quietness, Sometimes her smile. And folks, listen to me. I want to say a smile is like that gift. That smile can be that gift. Man, I come home and uh, things were difficult at work and she gives me that smile. And she just, that warmth of invite. That has broken sometimes the most difficult day and repositioned me. And, you know, and guys, let's just do this for our wives. Let's do this. Let's pray for them and thank God for them. Let's thank God for the woman that the Lord has put in your life that has been there to nourish you, cherish you, love you, and found you at your worst. And sometimes that's given her a place to be her worst, but there's been oftentimes times she's treated you gently when you didn't deserve it, you knew it. And you, and it's, it's brought you to where you are today. And God has done a lot of good things because of, you know, my wife will tell me sometimes she's the, she's the gentle side. I'm more the disciplinarian side. 
oftentimes with our kids. And she's like, you just want to be, you, you want to love them too, right? <laughs> and so I'll be like, okay, guys, let's go do something, enjoy life together. And what I've realized in almost 18 years of marriage is I've realized how wonderful it is to have somebody that's different than me help me in those areas of my life. But I've had to adjust myself in realizing that if I'm going to be able to cherish that, that means I'm going to have to look th- look things outside of my own picture a lot of times and see it from her angle. And you know, I've wondered oftentimes what God would do to just make things better. And I've learned that settling c- conflict oftentimes is simply, Lord, I need to, I need you to heal my emotional struggles right now. I need to go through that. I'm angry and I need to go through that. And Guys, some of the best thing you can ever do is walk away, dissolve your anger first, and then come back and work things out with your wife. And that's very practical, but it's something that we need to do. And we need to do it on our workplace as well. Somebody will rub you wrong. Oh, they'll rub you wrong. And then you've got to walk away. and get. We had one time on the job site, we had two guys ready to duke it out. I mean, they were ready to, I mean, it was, it was hot and heavy. And if they had had swords, they would have drawn them, no doubt. And or guns, or whatever else they would have had available to them. And they were ready to do it, and I watched them. And it was I was so grateful that it wasn't just me, but we had a Dennis Brennan at the time, and he's going over to this guy and helping walk him away, and I'm over at this guy walking him away. And it's a little weird and awkward when you got a guy that's this size, and he's hot, but he's not hot against me. That's the difference. And so I'm like, let's just walk. Go take a walk, or whatever you do. But what you're not going to do, what you're not going to do is go spend time talking to so-and-so over there because you guys are ready to get in a fight. So let's dissolve the frustration right now. Cool you down. And then and then they were saying things to me that they shouldn't have said. And there was words that were exchanged to me that shouldn't have been said to me because I wasn't the one that was an offense. But what I knew in the moment was you're talking from your emotions. And when you get out of that, you'll change. And sure enough, they did. They came back to me and they said, I'm sorry. I was so heated. I shouldn't have said what I said. And I'm like, I'm a man too. I get it. I understand where this is coming from. But the, the truth is, is we dissolve it. And the focus is to be there. And you know what a beautiful thing is, is a reminder to all of us. You are to call, you're called to be peacemakers. Yes. Brothers and sisters, we're called to be peacemakers. In the world we're living in, that's why God has you where you are. And what you're dealing with is because he's called you to be a peacemaker. What I can't say is, I can't say that, I, I can't say that my, my situation is as difficult as yours. <laughs> you know, I can't say I understand what you're going through. But I, I can say this, is that Jesus pulls every resource from heaven that he needs to, to make sure you're equipped for what you're dealing with. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus will pull every resource that he needs, and he's got every one that you need, to be able to equip you for what you're dealing with. That's good enough for me. So if my life is easier, he's not pulling as much out for me. He's pulling what I need. And yours is more difficult. He's pulling you what you need. Amen. Well, let's take a moment to pray. I want to also encourage you guys. Um, the Lord is ministering to some of you because some of you have gone through and are going through or know you're going to go through those times, and you know how you'll deal with them if it's not for the grace of God. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe it's afternoon by now. I want you to take time to come before the Lord at this altar, 
to get your heart before Him, to bear your heart before God. I think that's the next place. I don't know how Abigail got where she got. I don't know how she was able to stay a woman faithful to the Lord in the midst of what she did, but I would be willing to guess that she spent some good hours before the Lord 